Still good morning. It, it's nothing like, it, the church that I'm at right now, regularly, we're done about one o'clock. So uh, I'm not saying I'm keeping you that long, all right? I, um, but, so this is early. This is early for, for me. All right, sing with me. <clears throat> we'll see if this works out. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory again. We don't want a formal religion. We want one that transforms lives. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I did see some of you guys online as, uh, as the Cubs and the Indians were playing. Um, it, it was funny, not, not necessarily here, but when I would see the range of emotions that happened with uh, social media over this game. And maybe it's the benefit of me being a lifelong Cleveland fan, fan in every sport. There's always next. I'd say it's, it's an honor of autumn. But uh, our 0 and 8, um, we've had many of those kinds of years. So uh, I was just excited that, that the Indians made it. And I always have the Cavs to fall back on. What's up? They won. But uh, I did have people in Texas that were saying, you might still want to get some Cubs gear just to stay alive. <laughs> I said, I got to be true to myself. I don't know if you were here, and I don't know if you remember but when I was here in September, my topic was that we are all broken. I don't know if you even remember the verse, which is central to my, what I believe the gospel is. Okay, I'm going to say what I believe versus what it is. I don't want to dictate that, but what I believe the gospel is, and it is, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more sorrow, death, crying, or pain. For those former things are passed away. The gospel is, we've got broken people and God wants to get rid of death, sorrow, crying, pain, period. That's it. Can I get an amen? It is not about behavior. It is not about what food you eat or what clothes you wear or what metal dangles from you. It is that sin leads to death, sorrow, crying, or pain. And God wants to take away death, sorrow, crying, and pain. So ultimately, all God wants to do is heal. So repeat after me, all God wants to do is heal. 
Let's say it again. All God wants to do is heal. That's it. That's gospel. All right, see you guys. Now, you know, even though that is what I believe is the heart, that there is more that goes along with this. I'm not saying more that goes along with the heart of the gospel. But there's more you have to deal with because of the decisions we've made. Because there is an enemy that wants to snuff your life out. There is an enemy that wants as much pain, death, sorrow, and crying to be characterizing your life. I can't believe that there is actually somebody out there that wants that. But then I've met people that follow that. So, so I do believe that there, there really is an enemy that wants that from you. About 12 years ago, my wife and I had just started dating. We were, we were actually best friends for about three years. She actually had a crush on my brother. You can <laughs> razz her about that. Um, but after the, I, I'm hoping it was after, we actually started dating. We were just really good friends. Uh, and somebody tried setting us up and saying, you guys are so close. Have you ever thought of, and I was like, that's like my little sister. Um, I know that's sort of weird that I married my little sister. She's not really my little sister. Um, but we, we started dating in August, and that winter, a bunch of our friends said, let's go sledding. I hadn't been, I hadn't been sledding in years, so I was like, all right, let's do it. I had gone snow, snowboarding for the first time a couple years before and skiing for the first time, and those were both the last time. Um, skiing was, man, that was rough, man. My, my, my skis kept going like this. Have you ever, somebody just said, they gave me a five-minute lesson. And then I went to the highest hill, and I took them off after about, I was, it was probably about 50 feet where I kept going like this. I was like, forget this, and I walked all the way down. Anyway, so we go sledding, and we couldn't, it was nighttime, and we said, well, let's, let's go find a hill. And we found one behind this Catholic church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that had been sledded down all day, apparently. And so, uh, so we were going sledding. It was, it was a good time, you know. But right in the center, apparently, I'm assuming kids, built a, a jump. They built a jump. And uh, so... And it, the jump was probably maybe three feet high. But then after that, there was a little bit of a drop. And since they had done it so much, it was pretty icy. Well, the guys, all of us guys were like, hey, you should go do this. No, 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 you should do this. And finally, I was like, just give me that. I'll do it. So I took one of the, you know, the saucer ones, not the ones that are, you know, like a toboggan looking one. No, I took a saucer, which go faster. The saucer one, I took one and I, I got up to the top of the hill and the girls were like, no, don't be, no, it's foolish, don't do it. You know, and especially my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, said, come on, don't do this. And I said, no, I'm doing this. And so 
I get up to the top and I, and I sit down and I go and right before the jump I, I go off, I said, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And all the guys are like, oh, come on, quit being a chicken, come on. And none of them did it. So, so I get back up and I go and I remember going off. And it was pitch black, because this is probably 11 o'clock at night. Um, and all I realize are my feet start going above my head. And I start falling towards my neck. Now, my one friend saw it, because he was on the side and was watching. And he said, at one point, he thought I was probably about eight feet above the ground with my neck like going like this. Well, all I knew to do is I better, I better make sure that I don't fall on my neck. So I put my arm down, and boom. And I knew something was wrong. Once I did it, I knew something was wrong. And I said, uh, and the guys that were with me, right as I fall and I like roll, the guys come and they almost hit me with their sleds. And, my, and I said, there's something wrong. Uh, I think I might have broken it or something. And my wife, girlfriend at the time, yells down, faker, you're such a faker, come on. I said, no, 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 there's something wrong. Um, we need to go to the hospital. And uh, so we didn't drive. My one friend drove. And he drove, and I swore he hit every pothole. He was looking for potholes on the way to the hospital. And we go about 10 minutes, and he's like, and he's from Grand Rapids. Well, originally from Battle Creek, but has lived there for years. And he said, oh, man, the hospital's the other direction. So we turn around and drive double the length. We finally get to the hospital. And uh, I just didn't want to move it. And the nurse that admitted me, um, she goes, what do you think happened? And I said, well, I don't know if I broke it, what happened, but I just hit it hard, straight on, and it just doesn't feel good. Well, she put her two fingers under my coat, and my bone stopped her. So it stopped her finger. She's like, yeah, you broke it. <laughs> I was like, thanks. All right. I didn't realize that. At that time, I knew that they were going to have to reset my, my bone. And all I was thinking is, right now, I need drugs. <laughs> Don't touch my arm before you give me drugs. I need drugs. So if... Keep that in context, everybody who's watching, if there's anybody online. I didn't just say I need drugs, but I need drugs. At that moment, I needed something to help me cope with the pain. I will get back to that in a second. Back to our text. It says this. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children 
for the sins of their fathers, for the third and fourth generation who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Sometimes, if you get to know me, you will realize I am a translation person. I love original language. And sometimes I think that the translations here have led us into a, a rough theology. There are two types of the way we view law. There is descriptive and there is prescriptive. Now, you know what a prescription is, right? It's something that somebody writes and then you go get it. Or they prescribe something that you will have this happen because I said it will happen. Descriptive is, it's just a consequence. Descriptive would be, well, let's start with prescriptive. My kids, when they were young, they want to run into the parking lot or run into the street. And I say, no, don't run out there. And if you do continue to do that, you will get a spanking. That is prescriptive. I will really deter you from doing this by spanking you or some kind of punishment. All right, if you are a parent, most of you have done, have taught prescriptively. Descriptive means if you run into the street, there might be a car that hits you and there are consequences to that. Do you see the difference? Prescriptive is very immature. Hopefully, Hopefully some of you young adults are not still being punished by your parents by spankings if they do something. Or maybe some of you guys need to be punished that way. But, but you hopefully mature out of that and understand that there are consequences. That if in the law, if you cheat on your spouse, that there are consequences. It's not that it makes God angry, which I do know it makes, it frustrates him to no end. But adultery is a sin because it breaks families and it breaks lives. Do you understand that? Are you old enough to understand that maturely that this breaks lives? Here's our challenge, is most of evangelical Christianity still looks, a lot of people at church still look at the prescriptive way. I don't want to sin because it makes God mad. And I don't want to be punished. Hence, we have a whole theology, not us as Seventh-day Adventists, about hell. That if you do bad, you go to hell. That's prescriptive. But what God is saying in his law is, if you do this, it's going to bring death, sorrow, crying, pain, period. Does that make sense? So God's law is only protective to say, I don't want you to have death, sorrow, crying, and pain. Did you notice the one that I chose in the commands, the 10 words that it's called, 
it, is, it has the harshest punishment of all of them, what we'll call the harshest consequence. Idolatry has a, it says for how many generations will this affect you? Three to four generations. I don't see that anywhere else in here. Maybe with the honor of thy father and thy mother. But whatever this idolatry is, these false gods, it doesn't just affect you. It affects from generation to generation to generation. Now, in my opinion, and this is how I'm going to define this for you, even though it talks about the graven image itself, is that a false god is anything used to help cope with the brokenness, the pain, sorrow, death, crying. We all cope with that, right? I need drugs. That's what I was thinking to the doctor. I need drugs. Before you set this arm straight, I need drugs. All of you are broken. All of those people out there are broken. And everybody, I don't care who you are. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how tight you are with the Lord. Everybody has at least one coping mechanism. Everybody's using a coping mechanism. Maybe that's why we probably shouldn't be judging people for where they are in their journey. Because everybody's coping. Now, what we normally know is, you know, I need drugs. We, we think of chemical coping. So, so the false god of choice might be, their coping mechanism might be chemicals, drugs, alcohol. You know that people do this because there is pain or emptiness or whatever. But let's talk about, just give me a minute to please talk about, I think, just as big issues that are destroying but issues that we do not like to talk about, up front at least. How about pornography? Do you know how pervasive pornography is within our Christian walls? Every year I have kids. Every year I have kids coming to me saying that they are addicted to pornography. Do you know how easy access this is? By the way, does everybody understand how easy? I mean, if, I understand if you don't have a computer or, or a smartphone, you might not understand this. But if you have some kind of digital device that connects to this thing called the internet, within one minute, you have access I, I'm, I'm even being generous. Within one minute, you have access to pornography. When I was in the seminary, now this is pre, well, it wasn't pre-internet, but when this happened, it was pre-global internet. Actually, it was the year before I went to the seminary. There's a friend of mine, and obviously I don't use names because you never know. Um, there's a friend of mine who told me about her dad, who was a pastor for a conference. I'm not even going to say what conference. 
was a pastor and very traditional man, very traditional ministry. And, uh, and, and this girl and her brother, they loved their dad, um, but they knew something was off. The way that he separated from, you know, just emotionally from mom. One day, uh, mom said, well, let's go clean the attic. And so they went up there and found videotapes, stacks and stacks of videotapes. And the, the kid helped find this. I mean, it's not like mom found it and said, oh, man, what do I do with this? You know, her life is, is broken. But the kids found this. And this was his false god. But he had to keep it secret because we really don't have good avenues for people that are struggling. So what we have promoted, actually, is secret sins. Because if you're struggling with something like pornography, who do you tell? Yeah, who do you tell? That's hard. But that's not the only one out there. Actually, with my kids, what I usually have them do, the kids that I work with, not my personal kids, my, the kids I work with, I, want the, I have them make a list. What are coping mechanisms that we use? And I usually start them off. And I usually start them off with these two. One is food. You ever watch Biggest Loser? Biggest Loser, when Jillian Michaels was there, she never let it be just about food and exercise. She would say, what's really going on? Because there's something else. You are using this to cope with a deeper pain. Food. And my mom, I, my mom is awesome. But at 60 years old, she decided, I want my life to change. My mom is five foot four, and probably at the, the peak weight that she was at, uh, and, it's, and I would agree that it's, a lot of it's genetic because her whole family is, is obese. Um, she was about 290. At five foot four, that's, that's substantial. And when we were young, and my, my dad, my dad's Filipino. He's five foot six, 130. And he's never gained more. He's never been higher than like 135. So my mom used to tell us, and I didn't understand it, you have no idea what it's like to be where I'm at. Because your dad just talks about, my dad would just say, well, you just need to, to diet more and exercise more. You diet more, exercise more. And that was his motto. But my mom's like, you don't know what food means to me. And I don't think I did. Actually, I know I didn't. Food. How about shopping? Anybody like to shop? Yeah. It's, it is fun to shop. You know, it's even funner, if that's a word, to shop with other people's money. I love shopping with other people's money. Right? You like shopping? But you know that there are people that really use shopping. I mean, 
think about people that get in the iPhone lines. I mean, I do have an iPhone, so, but I would never wait in line for it, all right? I mean, they're there for days for something that they think is going to make their life better. It will transform my life if I wait for five days for this device that in two years I will wait again because I know that device will transform my life even more. And then in two years from that, I will be totally transformed from a device that I wait in line for. So my kids, they, they help me... Uh, they helped me make, make a list, and some were, some were achievements and money. Do you think people use that to feel better about their lives, to help cope? How about eating disorders? Do you think that, I mean, I, I'm not talking about within our walls. We probably don't have any issues with eating disorders here because we've transcended that. But do you think that there are people out there that struggle with eating disorders. And do you realize it's not just females? That there are men that are struggling with eating disorders? But we don't talk about that. How about media? I mean, I, we could spend a whole day on media. On, well, we already talked about porn, movies, video games, whatever it is to make our lives feel better. Some people isolate themselves. They feel better about that. Some people use music. There is self-mutilation. I remember there was a girl a few years ago that I, I think she was ready to be caught if you would, because at first she used to cut, if you know what cutting is, she used to cut in places that you couldn't see, like in her shoe line, it would be like her toes. She would cut, 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 and she would cut. Well, it started moving up, so I, I, but nobody still noticed. I was like, how do you not notice? It's so obvious. I mean, there were lines of scars. And so I asked her, I said, you know, have you been cutting? She said, is it odd? She, she, she first covered her foot, and she's like, why? I said, it's fairly obvious. And it sparked a conversation. And she was cutting. My mom is a retired nurse at a university. And after cutting, there was this little phenomena of burning. People actually, to feel better, to, uh, to eradicate emotional pain, they were burning themselves. I even think, to be honest, and you know, this is no judgment, but even tattoos and piercing to an extent is part of this self-mutilation that helps people cope. The way we treat others that helps us feel better about our lives. You guys know relationships, the relationships we get into, the sex involved, all of this stuff we use to cope with brokenness. 
Now, I want to say this. Since everybody copes, I, I, sometimes I, I think we have put our characteristics on God. You know, the, the enemy has put his characteristics on God, right? With the idea of hell. That's really what the enemy would like to do is torture somebody burning, 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 burning. Well, I think at times we have put what we think God thinks on him. Do you really think if God is love and God knows all and God loves you more than anything else and he is willing to die, send his son to die for you, do you really think he's surprised by your coping mechanism? Is he? No. You think every time he's just like, ugh, come on. Maybe he understands our coping mechanisms a lot more than we do. And the only reason he doesn't want us to keep going back is because that first part is we are broken. We're using, here's the irony, we're using the coping mechanism, this false God, whatever it is, to feel better about our lives, to numb this pain. But this moves from this category over to something that breaks us. Does that make sense? If I take drugs to feel better, it will work for a little bit. You guys realize this, right? If I use sex as my avenue to feel better about my life, I will feel better for a time. Or I wouldn't do it. Okay? That's just simple logic. If I used pornography, if I used any of these things to feel better about my life, it will work. It will help me cope. It will help me numb. But eventually, it creates more problems. It creates more brokenness. And God is saying, don't you realize this? And it's affecting not just your generation, but for the generations to come. You think about this. When there is some kind of sexual abuse, does it just affect that generation? Normally not. You do realize that there are quite a few abusers that don't really have the intention of abusing their children, but that is what they know from a previous generation of abuse. It is passed on to the third and fourth generation. Now, I don't know if you know this, but about idolatry, there were two main characteristics why, God, why it really frustrated God. Is there was the sex component, that's why they had the temple prostitutes. I mean, can you believe that? That you actually think about that. If this was a high place, you would have this temple and you'd have prostitutes in here soliciting sex and thinking it pleased God. It's strange. Hence, you have something like, you think about this. You think about Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah when they go to, the, to Mount Carmel? Who are the two gods that they're, that they're summoning? Baal, and what's his female counterpart? Asherah, right? Baal is the god of thunder and lightning and rain. And it was known that he would rain upon Asherah, the goddess of fertility, and it would bring forth crops. 
Now, if you are old enough and you have taken ninth grade health class, you understand when they would rain on something and then it would bring forth seed, you know, a whatever, whatever crop it is, you know what they are doing with these temple prostitutes and what they are imagining. This was hard at the heart of idolatry. But secondly, was child sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever read stuff about the child sacrifice that would happen in Bible times. I mean, at times they would build, they would build idols and they would heat them up and they would place infants on this idol and listen to its sizzle and believe that God was happy with what happened. This is why in, in the Psalms, God said, and he's addressing them with the idea of Babylon, he's like, your babies will be smashed upon rocks like what would happen in idolatry. They used to take them and smash them on rocks. They would dump them into pits of fire. They would, they would slit throats and watch them they would strangle. This is idolatry. The children are affected by what we do. So on one hand, I'm saying, we have no room to judge anybody because we all cope. By the way, religion is a way of coping too. There are people that feel better about themselves by what we do here, through the formality we take here. But we have no room to judge. But if you are struggling with one of these, also know it doesn't just affect you. And God wants to bring you true healing. He doesn't want you just to cope through. And that's where we'll take this. That the real gospel is this. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5 in verse 21 says this. I'll wait one more second. It says this. God made him, I'm talking about Jesus, who had no sin to, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if we say that sin is something that leads to death, sorrow, or crying, pain, Jesus, the only way of healing is that he became our brokenness. If you want healing, Jesus became our brokenness. He, that's why we say he is the only healer. If you look in 1 Peter, verse 2, or chapter 2, 1 Peter 2,
In verse 24, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And that's a quote from Isaiah 53. By him becoming broken, you are healed. Period. Does it mean you won't have scars? No, because there are wounds. But I'm inviting you not to go through the cycle of coping anymore. Let's, let's do away with our coping mechanisms and hold on to Jesus, our true healer. And if we do that, I truly believe you will start being healed.